So I, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to start a series on the book of Ephesians, but before I do that, I've got several couple of weeks here that I want to talk about enhancing your personal time with God. The most important time of your year in 2024 is going to be your time with God. How many hear me? So, you know, we call it our devotional time, whatever you want to call it. You know, that can be a mediocre time, or that can be a, <coughs> excuse me, life-changing time. And I want to talk to you about some really simple, practical things, and it'll take me some time to set this up tonight, and then next time we come back, I want to get into real practical things that you can do to make sure you have a, a devotional time that is amazing. And uh, so we'll get into that. Deuteronomy 30, I want to use this as a springboard. Deuteronomy 30, I love these these verses, these challenges that God gave through Moses to the Israelites. He said, now listen, today, 30 verse 15, Deuteronomy, New Living Translation. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. How many know we got those choices today, right? Huh? For I command you uh, this day to love the Lord your God, to keep his commands, decrees, regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you'll live and multiply. The Lord your God will bless you and the land you're about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, if you draw away to serve other, serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You'll not live a long good life in the land you're crossing over Jordan occupy. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death, blessing and curses. And now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you'll live long, live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So that was to the Israelites. But how many know God's promised to bless us where we are? And we are children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ, Galatians 3 says. So uh, there's a verse that is really important that we should pay a lot of attention to um, in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8, just the first part of the verse says, draw near to God and he will draw near to, to you. Is that right? So, so I will make this statement. I'll make it several times tonight. Uh, at this very moment, we are as close to God as we choose to be. So I want you to think about it. So I want to, you know, some of the things you heard before, I've shared this many times, but in the beginning of 2024, I want you to hear me again. Listen, I'm as close as I want to be. And so I like to say it, and I'll repeat this again. God has no favorite children. He loves everybody equally. This was a real challenge to me when I first came to the Lord 40, you know, it'd be 48 years in September, but 47 years ago, a little over, uh, just that God had no favorites. He didn't play respect of persons. And obviously, you know, uh, at Romans 2.11, there's no respect of persons with God. You know, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. The idea behind all that is God, God treats everybody equally and fairly, judicially, just exact. And so, and so it seems like you look at some people and their lives go a certain way and they have a close encounter with God and he does stuff for them. That's available to every single one of us. So, you know, you've got mentors in the Lord of people that you esteem as being really spiritual and really out there with the Lord, so to speak. Everybody can be there, you know. And so when I was young, you know, I had people that, you know, I'd think about Billy Graham. I think about, you know, one of my mentors was Kenneth Hagin, Lester Sumrall, and uh, Smith Wigglesworth. I read about him and others. And I think, well, you know, God, they're just over, over there in another league. No, no, no. No, they're human just like you and me. 
And, and although we have different kinds of ministries and different callings, all of us can be close to Jesus. Huh? Uh, meaning that it can have an indelible impact in your job, in your family, in your marriage, in how you relate to life in general. And, and that's God's plan. How many hear me? So we're as close to God. Everybody say it right now. I am as close to God as I choose to be. Now I put this in my I put this in my notes. Uh, 1976 is when I came to the Lord. And, you know, cassette tapes were in vogue at the time. So I listened to a lot of cassette tapes. And I came across one by Kenneth Hagin. And um, um, I'm not sure how I got this tape. You know, we had a big tape library. But the first, uh, first Bible college I went to, we had a big lit tape lending library, book lending library, and a big, a big bookstore and all that. And uh, uh, but they had all kinds of cassette tapes, and I checked those. You could t- check out a bunch of them at a time, and I'd check them out and listen to them while I work and, uh, or, or at home as well. And that, this one by Kenneth Hagin, um, you know, he would get in the spirit, so to speak, when he was talking and just get off of his subject. And then the things that he shared were like dynamite. And as a young man, 18 years old, it's like, man, I, I, need, I need to hear what this man's got to say. He's got some practical wisdom here. But he made a statement. He made a statement, and, and I'd never, now I'd been in church all my life, you know, Baptist church, Southern Baptist. My dad was a deacon, mama, Sunday school teacher, so I'm always in church. Uh, but I'd never in my life heard ever, ever, ever heard anybody say anything remotely close to this. So I just freshly come back to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and this is a fresh life for me. But Brother Hagin said, he said, I knew that, and I mentioned this to the men yesterday, uh, Tuesday morning in our meeting. Kenneth Hagin said, I knew that God could become real, more real to me than anything in this life. And boy, when he said that, and he was kind of on a tangent in his, uh, in his message there. He said, I knew God could become more real to me. And he said it this way. He could become more real to me than my wife lying by, by my side in my bed at night. I said, Whoa. He said, I knew God could become more real to me than my automobile. I'm driving down the the road. I knew God could become more real to me than anything in this life. And he said, if there's anything I long for and search for, it was that God could become real to me. And then he made this statement. He said, I can come to you tonight and tell you that he is more real to me than any living thing. And he said, that's available to you if you'll press after it and you'll push. But it's up to you. Now, you know, I, you know, I was just 18 when I heard that. Now, y'all, I mean, you can say sick them to a dog. <laughs> sick them, boy. Well, that's like saying sick them to me. And it's like, I want that right there. And, you know, he said that I heard that one time, and I went back and listened to that cassette over and over for a while. But it, it puts, put a, a yearning in me for God, a hunger, because I, it, it let me know there's more than I was experiencing, Right? So I want to, can I put a hunger in you tonight? So we are at any moment as close as we choose. So, so the question I have to ask myself is, how much am I going to choose this year? How close am I going to choose to be, right? So, so, so as we get into it, I'll develop this thing tonight. The next time, we'll get really practical about things you can do to make your personal time with God the most exciting time of your day. Not a time where you're wiping, you know, you're yawning and how long, how, how long have I been reading? How long have I been praying? No, no, you can't. You, you can get to the point you can't wait to wake up. You can't wait to spend time with God. Back in the 80s, uh, I forgot, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he had this song where, where uh, the song was talking about God staying up all night waiting on you to 
waiting on you to, uh, you know, to get up and fellowship with him. And the song decried the fact that the people got up and they forgot. And God was sitting there all night long waiting on them. And I think it went, I miss my time with you. Those moments together. I want to be with you. And it went on and on and on. And it was just talking about the closeness that God wants for every one of us. So question, is your devotional time the most important part of your day? Do you get more out of those moments than any other moments of the day? It should be a yes. And if it's not, if it's boring, if it's redundant, if you're just kind of going through the motions, you want to hang on, come next week, because we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of how to make it really sing. So if the devotional time is not the most important uh, in life, why not? Okay, so um, let me just give you a personal story. Uh, actually, 40 years ago this year, it was like mid-March of 1984. Uh, Susan and I had no children at the time. We got married in 1979. And I stayed, basically stayed in Tulsa, uh, except for 10 months. I won't even have time to go into that tonight. But uh, nonetheless, stayed there. And, and um, uh, I, I finally uh, got a job at a church, and you know the story about that, most of you. Um, and I, I started out as a janitor in a church, and I worked second shift. Susan worked uh, in her, what she did in her profession. She worked uh, first shift. So, you know, I had mornings by myself and all that. And, uh, and um, uh, the year prior, 1983, God spoke to me. Two things God did when I was young I'm really grateful for. Uh, the first one was in 1983, when I got that job at the church, uh, he spoke to me, and uh, I, I'm, I don't have time to go into detail except to say, Mitch, I, I want you to exercise, start now, and do it the rest of your life. I said, okay, I can do that. And so I, it, it put me on a, a trail that I'm still on today, and uh, that has transformed my life in a lot of ways. So I'm really grateful God spoke. But after he did that, then the next year, about the same time, about March of 83, is when I started this jogging thing, and that's turned into all kinds of exercise stuff and I've carried that for 41 years and then so the following year 84 about the same time of the year um, I'm in we just had a brand new church building it was huge 65,000 square feet of building space that's a lot of carpet and I had about 60 toilets in the building I'm janitor and so I'm doing my job you know so so you know if you got a job like that it doesn't take a lot of mental cranial activity to, to vacuum a carpet. You just got to know where you're going and, where you, and what you have done, right? Same way with cleaning toilets and sinks, bunches of them, emptying trash and cleaning the doors and all that. So I'm doing that, and I'm, but I'm meditating on Scripture. Matthew 6, 33 was this morning. I'll never forget this morning. That particular morning, I'm, I'm vacuuming the carpet. Seek first the kingdom of God is righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Now, I have a, a and that was, that became my mental habit pattern is to meditate on Scripture so my mind won't go where it could go in the gutter, Right? So you, you're in charge of your thoughts, and if you're not in charge of your thoughts, the enemy will make sure you have some stupid thoughts. And if you have stupid thoughts, you'll go stupid in life. So I didn't want stupid thoughts, so I meditate on the Word, right? So that's just, and you know, I tell you, when you meditate on the Word, the Holy Spirit, He tags you like, I know you, I like you, I think I can talk to you because you're speaking my language. You're thinking my language, Right? So I'm vacuuming, and I hear, and and, uh, and seek ye first the kingdom of God is righteousness. All these things will be added. So all morning long, I'm just meditating on this scripture. I hear nothing. I'm just meditating on Matthew six thirty three. I go to lunch about eleven o'clock. I live two and a half miles from uh, church, and um, so I turned in my neighborhood. Just took me a few five minutes to get home. 
turned into my neighborhood. Here's a, a swimming pool in front of me. And uh, I'm dry. I still, I just remember the whole scene. It's like it's yesterday. I'm not kidding. So I was driving a 1981 Oldsmobile Cutlass and uh, two door. It was a pretty car. And here I am. And I heard, I was seeking first kingdom of God is righteousness. And I heard, what's first in your life? I said, who said that? Who said that? See, God will take the word. If you'll meditate on the word, he'll talk to you about it. And, and, and it's, it's not words here. It's like inside us, an intuitive thing. I heard, what's first in your life? I, I said, well, and I, I sensed it was, I said, well, you are. I sensed it was the Lord. You are. And I, and I pulled up to a stop sign. Here's a pool in front of me. I got to turn left to go to my house. And then I heard this as I, as I took off and turned left. I heard him say, what's first in your life? Make first in your day. And see, that was a big deal to me. I was not a morning person. I'd never been a morning person. You've heard my story. As soon as I got married, I said, I love you. But in the morning, we just, I probably just won't talk to you at all. <laughs> I love you, but, you know, I'll kiss you on the cheek, but that's about it. So that's just the way it was. I'm not a morning person. I got a lot of stories about that. But God was wanting me to get up early and spend time with him. And I'd been to two Bible schools already. And But I can tell you, at the moment that God said that, I was dissatisfied inside. I wasn't satisfied with my relationship with the Lord. I knew the Lord. I wasn't in sin of any kind. I was walking with God. I was working for a church. Susan and I had a good relationship. Uh, but I was just inside. There was more, and I knew it. I just knew it. And see, God used, he used that scripture that I was meditating on to speak to me. So um, he said, what's first in your life, make first in your day. And I'm going to get to that part next week because what he told me to do transformed just transformed everything about me. Now, I'll, I'll start there next week and talk to you about the practical th considerations that I had to bear in mind as I, as I changed my whole um, way of doing life. I had, to, I had to, instead of not being a morning pers person, become one. And that meant I had to make changes in habits I had. Habits that I had had for you know, what, 20-something years at the time. So, but was it worth it? Oh, my Lord, I look back on the decades of life since then. I don't really think I would have survived all of the things that life has thrown at me. How many know that life can throw a lot of stuff at you? And sometimes you're ready and sometimes you're not. And I found out, if you spend time with God, you're pretty much going to be ready for anything that the enemy throws against you, other people come against you, circumstances come against you. Sometimes you just dumb yourself and do stupid things, Right? But, you know, if you spend time with the Lord, things just have a way of working out. So I can tell you when he said, what's first in your life, make first in your day. I, and honestly, I didn't even answer him that first day. It took me, um, it took, I don't even like to tell you, it took me a few weeks. To say, well, God, let me think about it. I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, the Lord's talking. I want you to change your whole life pattern. And, uh, you know, honestly, I said, well, God, I don't know if I can do that. I, and it was a big it was a big thing to chew on. I mean, really? You want me to get up early? Me? I don't do that. But he wouldn't leave me alone. So day after day, I could keep hearing him say, what's first in your life? Make me first in your day. And that went on day, several weeks. And finally, it got so bad. I said, God, you know what? Okay, all right. I'm going to do this. And I made the commitment. And y'all, it is the absolute best thing that I have ever done in my life. I, I, I would not be here if I hadn't made that choice. How many hear me? So, uh, so is your devotional time the most important part of your day? So uh, everything God does, everything in life begins 
with your time with God. Let me just read a couple of things here. In fact, I'm going to skip some things in my notes. Smith Wigglesworth said this, ever-increasing faith. I mentioned that book. He said this, pay attention to life's inflow. What does that mean? The things that you ingest. You know, a lot of people, once they uh, go to school, they go to college, they have a career. Did you know they stop reading? Do you know, know how many people I found out don't even like to read, don't like to read their Bible? They'd readily listen to the Bible. They don't even like to read books. They'd rather listen to something. And now we got podcasts and reels and stuff. And you can be mentally occupied all the time. But that doesn't mean it's getting into your heart. There is something about reading that can transform your life. How many hear what I said? So I was reading one day, Pay Attention to Life's Inflow. Smith Wigglesworth's book, copyright 1924. (laughs) Pay attention to life's inflow. Just the way he said it, grab me. Outward service will dwindle if inward energies are not renewed. I said, whoa. Life brings, puts pressure on us. The pressure of circumstance, the pressure of relationship, the pressure of finance, the pressure of being married and having children, thousand and one things, but there's spiritual pressure constantly. Yes or no? So how I deal with that pressure determines my success or failure spiritually. So, so either I'm going to guide the reins of my life or I'm going to yield to the Lord. So I, I have this one thing he said, I've taken that through decades of life. And I think about it still now, just the way he said it. You can say it so many different ways. Pay attention to life's inflow. So when he says inflow, that means something's coming in and it's changing you. That's what I get out of that. Outward service dwindles if inward energies aren't renewed. J. Oswald Sanders has uh, some really great books. I mentioned him here some time back. He's got one entitled Enjoying Intimacy with God. Here's a quote. It's in the notes here. You can find them online. He said this, both scripture and experience teach that uh, it is we, not God, who determines the degree of intimacy with him that we enjoy. We are at this moment as close to God as we choose to be. That's where I got that. Everything in our Christian life and service flows from our relationship with God. If we're not in vital fellowship with him, everything else will be out of focus. So again, God, think of the idea that God has no favorite children. Um, uh, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. And, and then the thing that challenges me is somebody like David who can, who can miss God so badly. I mean, lust, uh, commit adultery, premeditated murder. I mean, come on. And then he's a man after God's own heart. H- how did he get there? Because he developed a relationship that took him out of the flesh and, and, and haunted his character and transformed his life. So, so I want to say that I don't care who we are, where we've been, what we've been involved in, or what kind of hooks have been in our flesh that keep us away from God's best, you can always make a change. Is that good news? I don't care how big a booger you've been. It doesn't matter. What does matter is if you'll do this one thing. Pay attention to the inflow from Jesus in your life. It can transform who you are. See, see that gives everybody hope. Is that right? Right? So um, wherever you are with the Lord right now, you can still connect on a deeper level. So, you know, this is my 48th year in God in September. So I'm always thinking, God, I, I don't want this year to be less than last year. I want to be stronger. I want to move further. I want to be better. Right? So, so if you're a person that says, well, I got all I want, you are going to backslide. 
Now, listen, I know a lot of people, and I've got a lot of friends from living, you know, in, in Tulsa and different places, and I can tell you, I know a lot of people went to Bible school with me who are not walking with God today. A lot of people died early, and I have to pinch myself. I'm still alive. Look at here. Good. I want to live a long time, and I want to love Jesus every day. But you only do that on purpose, and your habits take you where you're going, right? So we're going to talk about it. Y'all good? So now I'm going to change, and for the last little part here, this is really simple. I've shared these concepts before, but I want you to grasp them. Uh, and I got this from J. Oswald Sanders, and I thought, this man is so good. And you can also, there's the, the same dynamic I'm about to share uh, is also found in the Old Testament with the Israelites and God. I don't have time to go there to talk about Jesus. There are uh, four circles of intimacy surrounding the Lord Jesus' life. And, and you can look at that and say, well, you know, they were just special or they were chosen. No, anybody Jesus chose, it's because he saw what was in them and that they were pursuing him perhaps more than the other people around them. Did you hear what I just said? So if you have a relationship with Jesus that's close, that choice is up to us, not him. Because he wants all of us. You remember the painting by Michelangelo, the, the Lord's Supper, and you got John kneeling on, you know, laying his head on his, on his shoulder, you know. That place is for everybody, right? Everybody can have that spot. So let's talk about the four circles of closeness around Jesus. First one is the multitude. Throughout the four Gospels, they followed him everywhere uh, he went. There are 62 references in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, to the multitudes, all right, that surrounded Jesus. Here's some examples. Matthew 13, 1 and 2. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house, sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore mark 2 13 he went out again by the sea and the multitudes came to him and he taught them mark 3 7 but jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great multitude followed uh, from galilee followed him and from judea jerusalem idumea beyond the jordan uh, those from Tyre, Sidon, great multitude. And when they heard many things he was doing, came to him. They came for healing. They came to hear and speak. But again, they were not as committed as his disciples. They were the multitude. They were looking for the latest craze, the latest thing. Hey, Jesus is here. Let's go see what he's doing. They were just curious, right? Uh, John 6, 2, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. So, you know, listen, I've, I've been around long enough and I've been to some really huge, large meetings and people were drawn to the meeting because they wanted to see something, because they heard something and they wanted to be in the middle of something, right? So you can do the right thing for the wrong reason and, and not bless you. So multitudes, crowds follow stuff that looks exciting. Is that true? So, you know, I have to ask myself, am I, am I part of the crowd? Am I just part of the crowd? So see, here's where most believers today are part of the multitude. So another practical way to put it is, and when I go to uh, leadership conferences and stuff about churches, here's what they say, and I think the stats are fairly accurate. Regardless of the size of your church, small, medium, large, mega, whatever, uh, two-thirds of the people in any church do nothing. One-third are the workers, the people involved on varying levels. You get that? So the goal of any pastor is get those two-thirds, get them off their duff, and get them busy. Right? 
So I'm just saying again, the multi- see, see that's, that's synonymous with the multitude. You know, most believers are just part of the multitude. Oh, they're saved. But sometimes, yet so as by fire. They're saved. Are they satisfied spiritually? No. Are, are they happy with where they are? Not necessarily. Mediocrity can never satisfy. And if you're part of the crowd, so to speak, in closeness with Jesus, that is a place, I'm telling you, that's a place... It's a place by choice, and, and I want to submit perhaps it's a place of mediocrity, right? Um, a lot of people are afraid to get close to anybody, including the Lord. You ever thought about that? Huh? Because if you get close to somebody, you know, relationships, um, what's a good word? I don't like the word demand. But relationships put an onus on you to be something. If you're going to be a friend, it takes something. How many of it takes time to be a friend? If you're going to be friendly, it takes something. If you're going to be interesting to talk to or have somebody talk to you, how many know it takes time to develop that, right? Some people just don't want to take the time. Just leave me alone. Let me be a hermit. Let me be by myself. Do you know we got a lot of spiritual hermits around? They crawl in a hole and they just waste away. They wouldn't come to church. They don't do anything else. I don't know about you. That is not where I want to live. Do you? See, most of the Wednesday night crowd's like, well, you, why are you here? You ain't got to be here. You can be home watching something on TV. Well, you want something more, right? So again, you know, another thing is, uh, two things. Um, some people don't want to get close to anybody because they're afraid they'll get hurt. Again. Huh? So some people that have trust issues, they have, that, those trust issues can keep them away from the Lord. If that's you, I, I want to encourage you, struggle towards the Lord. And say, God, I've got trust issues. People that I've trusted have let me down so many times. I don't want to trust anybody, even you. Put up a wall. I encourage you not to do that. It can be that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. Another part of that is some people, and I listen, I've heard people say this. I, I don't, I, you know, I pray and I read my Bible some and stuff, go to church. But, uh, you know, if I get too close to the Lord, he might ask me to do something I don't want to do. Well, can, can I put some water on that one a little bit? Did you know you stand before Jesus? He's not going to judge you according to what you did. He's going to judge you according to what he called you to do. And if you never even sought his face to find out what the giftings is he placed in your life and find out what he wants, <laughs> woo-wee, that's called save so as by fire. Just put a little onus on it. Is that Okay. So you got the multitudes. Everywhere Jesus went, uh, there were people part of the multitude. It doesn't take a lot of effort to be part of the multitude. How many hear me? And then from the uh, multitude, there emerged 70. Jesus sent uh, 35 groups of two out to minister on his behalf in his name. They give, gave him the power of his name. And they were amazed at the power they had. They could cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, you know, heal the leper. And, uh, you know, and preach the gospel. And it was really, really exciting. So, um, uh, you know, Jesus sent this group, these 35 groups out, told them what to do, told them what to do when they entered a person's house, what to do in a city if people didn't receive from them. And uh, it was just an exciting thing for them. So uh, each of these 30, uh, 70 people that Jesus sent out uh, knew Jesus. They heard his teaching. Um, he gave them instructions, but let's get real. You got 70 people and you got one person teaching them. You only get so close. Yes or no? 
uh, even though you're away from the multitude, it's a, it's a step in from the multitude and you're more on the inside group, but you're still at a distance from Jesus. You get the idea? So, so the 70 is definitely a, a step closer. And so you can have experiences with God uh, in, that, in that 70 circle, so to speak. And you can learn and, and you can walk with God and you can do okay. But the idea is there's more. So I just want to locate, I want you to locate where you are. Are you part of the multitude? You ain't trying to get very close because that's a scary place to be for lots of reasons. Or maybe you're part of the 70. There you're in there. You're making, you're, you're, you're making strides that many others aren't. You're there, but there's another place. It's called the, the 12. The 12 disciples had a closer place than the, obviously the multitude, the 70. The 12 disciples, watch this. Luke 6, 12 through 16. After a night of prayer, Jesus chose 12 disciples to carry his message to the world. He trained them. He taught them. They heard him teach the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the, tw- the 12 did. The disciples did. They watched him as he ministered. And they imbibed something of his spirit. And they learned how to do what he did because they were 12 around, uh, around him and they were close to him. There are 280 references to Jesus' disciples in the Gospels. And so the Gospels give a lot of attention to the disciples being with Jesus. They saw him in all kinds of situations. And they saw him in a different way than the 70 did. You get Even though the 70 were called, even though the 70 were in a good place, in that they came out from the multitude and really embraced Jesus' teachings and were used by him to minister life to others, still they weren't as close as the 12. Would you agree with that? Then, then from the from the twelve there emerged, and this is talked about. I don't have the number in my notes, but on and on again, it would talk about Peter, James, and John. Jesus would take Peter, James, and John with him and do certain things with him that he didn't do with the twelve or the seventy, or obviously the multitude didn't have a part of. Um, the three, Peter, James, and John, were with Jesus when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Luke eight. Listen to this. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, don't weep. She's not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead, but he put them all outside, took her by the hand and called, said, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned. She rose immediately. He commanded that she be given something to eat and her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Peter, James, and John saw that. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So Peter, James, and John were also with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus let the glory come on him that he had in heaven one time, and it freaked them out. Uh, Matthew 17, 1 and 2, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. So, so that glory that he laid aside, uh, somehow uh, he and the Father must have talked. He said, let me show it to the disciples one time. Let me show them what's available. Me. <laughs> They're like, whoa. Freaked them out. Peter mentioned this experience. Um, in fact, John said, in John 1, 14, we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten 
Son of God, full of grace and truth. He's probably talking about that experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Then, then Peter said this. Listen, Peter, uh, 2 Peter 1.16. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, he's probably talking about that experience on top of the mountain. You imagine how much they must have thought about that? The only people that saw that were Peter, James, and John. Question, could all 12 have seen it? I would, I would suggest yes if they had pursued Jesus as astutely as did Peter, James, and John. Any of the 70 could have been Peter, James, and John. Hmm? Any of the multitude could have been Peter, James, and John. But they're, they're the ones that chose to pay the price. And so well, why did, how did Jesus know who to pick when he picked the 70 or the 12 uh, or, or Peter, James, and John, as they constantly were with Jesus when he was doing things, he just looked at the desire they had and how, how often they would, they would be with him, looking, thinking, asking questions. You know, uh, a school teacher can figure out which one of the students in the class are going to excel because they'll wait after class and come up and ask questions. Is that true? Or they'll come up with the teacher before class and say, X, Y, Z, you know, can we talk about this? Or, or maybe can I have an appointment with you and talk about this? See, so, so there's something about us that draws Jesus towards us when we yield to a desire for him. How many get it? So the multitude, the 70, the 12, the three, here we are again. They saw Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray there. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful, even to death. Stay with me, here with me and watch. He didn't say that to the 12. Why didn't he? They were there. Jesus will talk to you about stuff if you choose to get close to him. So he ain't talking to me. How close, how close have you been? Have you allowed him in your life? So when we talk about having a time with God in the morning and early rising and seeking God, you can get to a point. In fact, next year this time, you could be a revolutionized person from where you are now. How many want that? I'm like, no, you know, I'm going to tell you, next year this time, I plan on being a whole lot further down the road spiritually I'm now. How about you? You say, well, pastor, you're a pastor. You know, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you're spiritual. You can learn to do what you do. You can learn to preach. You can learn to teach and just, and just do it because it's habit. I refuse to do that. And so I, I don't know. Next year, I'm going to be a different, at a different spot. The last place here. So you got, you got the multitude, the 70, the 12, the 3. I said there are four, there's five. The one. The disciple whom Jesus loved was the apostle John. John 19, almost done. There stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, John 19, 25, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, uh, said to his mother, woman, behold your son. You know, I, I don't know what I think about John doing this because he wrote the book of John and he kept saying about himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You got an ego, dude. What are you doing? John 20, verse 2. Then she, ran, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. He's bearing the point home and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. John 21, 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved 
said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. John 21, 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper, saying, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So again, you know, that person laying his head on Jesus' shoulder in Michelangelo's picture, that's, uh, that's available to every one of us. So, so, you know, that's a real simple concept. But I want to submit to you that that place where you lay your head on Jesus' chest, on his arm, and you're just talking to him, that's available to every one of us. So let me, let me dangle the carrot. Now, I, I, you know, I can tell you just the way habits work. If, 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 as we get into this next week and you follow a pattern, um, If you'll do what we're going to talk about beginning next week in three months' time, your life will start to become revolutionized. No kidding. And, and if, and if um, the doldrums have set in, if you know what I mean by that, with your devotional time, and you know you have to make yourself, it's like you're going through the motions, it can become the most interesting part of your day. You just got to learn. We are spirit, soul, and body. Our soul, we have mind, emotions, and will. And you got to learn to work with all of them and do some practical things to keep yourself motivated. So, you know, you got a job. If you got a job, uh, uh, you know, the leaders in your job, they, if they're smart, they know the things that will motivate their employees. Is that correct? And so we have to, we, there's certain things you can do you know, just in the natural realm that will keep you motivated on your job. How many know you got to stay motivated in your marriage? You got to stay motivated as a, as a parent. Is that true? So there's some things you've got to do to keep yourself self-motivated in every area of life if you're smart, right? And so there's some things you can do uh, just naturally, spiritually that can keep us really motivated. So we're going to talk about that. So we are now and in the future... As close to God as we choose. So next year this time, where you are with Jesus, it's not going to be up to him. It's going to be up to me and you. Would you agree with that? So where do you find yourself in the circle right now? Multitude, the 70, a little bit closer, 12. They experienced things that most people didn't. The three, and they really got in there, or the one. I don't know about you. I want to go after the one. What do you say? It's going to take some effort, and it's not necessarily the, the, you know, it's not the easy things in life that bless you. It's the things that take consecration and dedication and purpose that make life worthwhile, right? It's that way naturally. It's also that way spiritually. So will you be only one of the multitude? That is just scratching the surface. I'm going to read my notes here as we close. You can come on up here, um, Joshua. Uh, will you be part of the 70? You're with him, but you know you're not as close as you could be. Oh, you're not backslid. You're walking with God, but you could be closer. See? Will you be part of the 12? They were close to Jesus, and he was individually training them uh, to do what he did, to minister the way he did, right? Or will you be, uh, will you be part of the, um, will you be part of the three, Peter, James, and John? They experienced more only because they wanted more, right? right? Or you're going to be in that closest place to Jesus, and that's the spot John had. 
He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. See, that spot is available to all of us. And when we get to heaven, we can say, John, why would you talk about that so much in your, in your gospel? What's up with you? And he may, he, he, may, he, may, he may come back and say, it's because what I got was so rich. I wanted to make you jealous in a godly way. I don't know. So I'm just telling you, listen, I don't care who you are. So let me say it this way. I don't care what kind of flesh things you struggle with, relational things you struggle with. Uh, a lot of people struggle with themselves, and they don't think they're worthy of God paying attention to them nor spending time with them. Nothing could be further than the truth. So, you know, you, all of us have lots of influences in our life from our past. And most of us uh, don't think about ourselves the way the Lord does. And that's what you need to know. He loves you more than you ever know. And his entire heart is for all of us to constantly and consistently improve. How many want to go there? So next week, we're going to go in some pragmatic, practical detail on how to put teeth on a devotional time that makes a huge difference. And then perhaps uh, it may take two weeks to do that, but we'll hopefully have time for questions and stuff too. Is that good?